Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Well, we said we'd be back on this, and here we are. We're going to talk about plagiarism today, and we're doing that in the context of our last episode, so you can watch these sort of back-to-back, and if it makes sense to you to do that, great. Otherwise, this one can stand on its own as a conversation about plagiarism in the context of how Claudine Gay got axed at Harvard. And I'm using that word properly, right, Jim? Okay, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right, I know. It's not funny. (laughs) But it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So um, I guess the the best place to pick this up is that we wanted to respond, along with millions of other people so far, who have to the Bill Ackman, is that his name, tweet that caused such a firestorm, be careful of my language here, uh, over the course of the last few days. So that would have been the early part of January 2024, if you're getting this in history. Uh, He had a lot to say about plagiarism. He had a lot to say about how his wife was the subject of a regime media attack, uh, some of which was based on plagiarism. Uh, He had a lot to say about Claudine Gay and his advocacy for having her removed as president of Harvard, along with the others who testified uh, before Congress in relationship to the Hamas massacre of Israeli citizens that took place October 7th. So uh, that's pretty much it for context. How am I doing? Uh, Good, except that I just would like to add that we did get into that context in, in great detail in the previous episode. So uh, if any of you are curious about any of it, uh, the only piece of context I would want to elaborate on is that I really emphasized that Bill Ackman was motivated to do this because he w- his wife was attacked. Um, so what we're about to discuss, the, the subject of that starts, in my opinion, with that. So having said the post that he put up and the thoughts that he has on the subject of plagiarism and the things that go on in higher education and how research is conducted uh, was a fantastic entry point with lots of very interesting nuance on it. So, you know, we discussed some of what we think his motive was and the lack of grace that could be found in that motive in the previous episode. We're not going to dwell on that here. We literally broke this out into a separate episode because the thoughts here, his mastery of the subject on plagiarism, or at least the depth of his thought on it, is significant enough that um, it would challenge, frankly, the observation that he was motivated this way. It would almost seem he's been thinking about this for a long, long time. And uh, uh, that's probably a testament to how smart this billionaire uh, actually is. I'm with you on that, because he makes some really, uh, for the first time that I've seen anyway, 
he makes some really startling claims about plagiarism that I think we need to evaluate here as a society. Uh, and we'll just jump in right with the first one, which is, and this is a quote, no body of written work in academia can survive the power of AI for missing quotation marks, et cetera, punctuation, grammar, that kind of stuff, right? And he's pointing out that we need to have a reasonable threshold against which we can measure uh, plagiarism in academia. And I think that probably applies other places too, but we'll keep it focused on academia because we're talking there and, and eventually the conversation will expand. What do you say? I, first oh. off, I want to say, I think this is going to be one of the most wonderful things that AI can do right out of the gate. Yeah, I agree. And this is an investigation that is long overdue. So I follow on Facebook, a gentleman by the name of Phil Magnus, M-A-G-N-E-S-S. Phil is has uh, sparred with the founders of the 1619 project, particularly the main uh, driver of that project, uh, which has been made popular by the New York Times. And there's hollowness in the education there, in, in the information there, in the history. And he has shown a great deal of that. Uh, he has also gone after a gentleman, I believe, who's at Yale, who he found actual plagiarism might've been Duke. I'm trying to remember which institution it was, but it's not really important. It was a, it was a major elite institution and this was a history uh, professor. And not only did he find the research and the analysis to be shoddy and really not matching the grade as with the 1619 project, he found that there was outright repeated incidents of plagiarism. When he presented this information, uh, when he brought, he, he, nobody wanted to do anything with it. When he broadcast this information, uh, many people in academia started marginalizing plagiarism. They started excusing or apologizing or behaving it uh, for the behavior of it. They were they did not seem to be as upset about it as they potentially would be if one of their students had copied the encyclopedia and showed up with that as a report for class. And the yeah. fact that they didn't do that set off alarm bells, not just for him, but for a lot of people that were observing his work. Because why were they, you know, it's kind of like, well, we don't want uh, to see these stones start flying because they might hit our glass house. Sure. And so that kind of alerted it. Now there's, a, there's yet another his, uh, ec economic historian, and I use the term as loosely as possible. Uh, and her name is not occurring to me at the moment, but we can put, I will put it down in the show notes who has tried to make the case that a prominent uh, a public choice theory economist, uh, a, 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 an award-winning economist, uh, was actually a, a racist. He was a crypto racist, basically. And that he invented economic theories on this basis. And the history is just, just, just as shoddy as hell in, and it's clearly politically motivated. It's a smear job. And not only has Phil, but uh, you know, a half dozen other prominent people who have taken umbrage to this have taken the time to address all of it. And she has simply doubled down. And again, the people in her peerage, her class, uh, her fellow academics have rushed to her defense rather than ask for standards to be upheld. So I'm of the impression, based on the things that I'm learning from observing Phil, that this is actually probably pretty widespread. 
and that the further that we get away from um, math, right, the hardest of science, right, right, uh, the more likely we are to find that this is occurring. It's not surprising because uh, in our conversations, and if you've, as you've pointed out, and as the world basically is doing, to spread an idea means that the idea has to be repeated. But the genesis of the idea itself <laughs> is a different thing than saying, oh, hey, I heard Jim Baptist say on Grace Archie that X, right? That's not plagiarism. That's, that's, that's advancing the idea. Having the conversation. So offline, I told you a story about me. Uh, And I'll share that with our audience now. And I'm going to go back. It's probably about, uh, I'm guessing now, about 17, 18 years ago now. Uh, I wrote a column. And the column was about some dead Marines that were brought back to Brook Park, Ohio. The article is available at wartruth.org. That's where it lives now. Uh, but originally it was written for uh, the organization I was uh, running full-time at the time as president uh, and founder of Downsize DC. And I was bemoaning the fact that politicians take advantage. They almost grandstand on dead bodies. Uh, They showed up for these uh, Marine reservists and their families uh, to give speeches about how glorious their sacrifice was. And as someone who was anti-war, I was actually appalled at this. I feel like they're sacri- they were taking political advantage of the death of these young men who are not going to be able to live a full, vibrant life because of these events, because of their decisions, because of their irresponsibility. And in that article, I not only talked about the actual argument that I just laid out for you, but I related something personal, which, was, which involved uh, the death of my mother, uh, which happened when I was 10 years old. And at that time, I really went on a quest for meaning, like everybody does. I mean, at 10 years old, the natural instinct for me was to try to find the meaning in this. Why did my mother get killed? And I shared a bit of that personal experience. Months go by, and I open up a copy of a, uh, it was LP News, it was the Libertarian Party's political uh, their newsletter, but it was in newsprint format. And I start reading my own article with another author's name on it. And I realize it's my article. So I go scrambling to the computer and I do a paragraph by paragraph comparison. And I mean, it, everything is the same, except the new author cut out the personal section about my mother. So I contacted the editor who was really embarrassed and upset. and. Uh, told him what had happened and showed him. And uh, first, he promptly apologized. He told me that it came from a state party newsletter uh, in Missouri. So I contacted them, and they said that they got it from a local publication in Missouri. The author, who the guy that stole it, never returned my calls or emails. I tried you know, to find ways to reach him, and, and I was unsuccessful. But the... Uh, the newsletter in Missouri ended up uh, printing a correction and letting everybody know what happened. And extraordinarily, uh, the editor at LP News ended up doing a profile on myself and Downsize DC. So something really good came out of it. Now, initially, I was upset because something so blatantly had been stolen from me. And I, you know, 
I, I just, that was what I thought I was supposed to feel. And then my friend, Bill Olson, uh, said to me, said, uh, Jimmy said, uh, uh, you know, you do this line of work. Uh, are you trying to get your ideas to be spread? Do you want people to agree with you? And the light dawned on me. I realized what he was saying, that somebody had liked my words so much that they said them word for word. This actually represented success at, at my mission and trying to get these ideas out there. And I began rethinking it. In fact, he went on to say to me something to the effect, and this is the way I state it to people now, and people who work with me uh, have probably heard me say this more than once, but there's no limit to what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. I'll say it again. There's no limit to what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. And so I changed my mind. I decided I shouldn't be angry about that. And I don't look at that as theft anymore. Because if I want people to share my values, I tend to think I do a good job of communicating them. And I've now decided that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So plagiarism uh, isn't me cannot merely be simply the copying of ideas or repeating something that someone said well. I think there's got to be something more to the claim. And I think that Ackman started to get at this in the piece that he wrote. And the story you've given us, this is definitely not about weaponization. And the weaponization of plagiarism in the Claudine Gay case is a, is a totally different thing. They're trying to uh, they're trying to hit her over the head for the same thing that the author who took your copy uh, was doing with impunity. And so we have to talk about standards and what, what constitutes a valid standard of plagiarism. And Bill Ackman does a good job at this, everything from mm -hmm. laziness to theft, mm -hmm. right? Outright theft. Uh, somewhere along the way, he's arguing for a reasonable standard to be applied. Like, at what point does sharing a good idea become theft? And that's really what we're talking about here. So, number one, I expect that in my own writing, there have been times where I have gone to a source for a definition of a word, and Ackman covers this, if I recall correctly, in the piece. Yes, yes. And I have then subsequently not used that definition word for word, but I've kind of tried to use that as my starting or baseline to make sure that I, the definition or the version I'm writing now... It ends up being sensible and accurate. And definitions are things that you would normally go to some other source to make sure you got right. And it's not that you don't know what the word is, and it's not that uh, uh, it's more that you just wanted to make sure that you used uh, the best wording possible to say that. Right. And it didn't occur to me on some of these occasions because I did reword because I recognized it couldn't take it word for word that I did that. And people would say, well, Jim, that's actually plagiarism too. If you opened up something as a reference, now then I start to wonder, and Ackman asks this question out loud in, in a slightly different way than I'm going to. Um, I use another resource because I think that word variation is, is helpful in writing, makes it a little more interesting, keeps you a little more attracted to it. Um, because uh, there's this, this hypnotic thing that happens. I'll just say this as a writer. If you start repeating the same word over and over again, people start to lose their place. And so uh, there are times when you do that artfully and it works. And there are the times when you could do it inartfully and it's, it, it, it 
they lose their place. Yeah. And I will use a thesaurus. And when I go to the thesaurus and I pull out a word, do I need to let the entire world know that at that moment I used thesaurus.com to find an alternative word? Or if I start now, we have AI writing tools that assist for things and they do spelling correction. Should I let everybody know every single time I needed spell check and help? Because uh, truth be told, I'm so un unused to using the word plagiarism that my instinct with my fingers, because I can type in the query method, uh, my instinct is to, to typo it. I misspell the word when I'm banging away at the keys that, you know, I don't know, I'm probably, I'm guessing in the 80 to 90 word a minute range. I mean, I'm, I type fast, so I, but with errors, you know, because if I don't know how to spell a word, I just keep right on going. And uh, in fact, I write <laughs> just a little secret I'll let out to everybody. I tend to write using a text edit, uh, the text notepad feature on my Microsoft computer because I don't want all the AI interferences that happen these days. They slow down the thing and they distract me and I just want to get the thoughts out on the page. But I misspell plagiarism and I go and I do a spell check on it. Do I need to start citing that too? So we can get to, I think these are some of the more picayune type of things yes. that show that that using you know Wikipedia or a dictionary to help you say something a bit more precisely, uh, especially if you didn't actually copy it word for word, is a very normal human function. That's what the tools were designed to be for. And footnoting the crap out of your paper isn't going to add or give any benefit to the reader, nor is it really actually picking the pocket of thesaurus.com, for example. I mean, right. they get their money every time I come on there because they advertise at me. There's the other, uh, the next level up on this too, which is footnoting. If you cite a paper, um, there's no guarantee that the paper that you cite, that you saw, was not itself derivative from some other thing. So most ideas that most human beings hold, uh, they start off by being imitated or observed. Yes. Right? Girardian. And the new idea, the, the idea that something is new, almost always is a sexual combination of, uh, of previously disconnected things. Right? So somebody has experience A, then they have experience B, and they put these things together. And we encourage this in a lot of other arenas. What the area that you're most familiar with, Bill, is music. This goes on in music constantly. All of the evolution of music, all of it, is based on somebody coming in and taking something and uh, modifying it a little because they have some other things. So, you know, if you listen to country music right now, it's radically different from what it was in the mid-1980s, okay? Sure. So you go back 40 years, it's radically different. Now, country music from 1965 to 85 doesn't change very much, or, or maybe even from 1945 to 85 doesn't change very much. But there's been a lot of people who have taken other styles of music and brought those things in. So there's more rock in country music. There's more, uh, there's more um, rap in country music, right? Oh, These yeah, other things have begun. Right. They've all started to come in and be part of the mix and create something kind of new, a new kind of stew. And the combination of these ideas, it means that everyone at some level is derivative. The genius is in the fact that they were the first ones to figure out how to make these, these things go together in a delicious way, uh, like peanut butter and chocolate. But that's so different from the, you know, the academic plagiarist 
paradigm. Okay. Now, the concern here, I suspect, and again, I, I read this tweet a few days ago, um, the real concern is that somebody is taking somebody else's original work in much the same way that my article was taken and passing it off as their own. And there is an academic competition going on. You're in a community where you're attempting to be recognized by your peers. You're attempting to uh, advance. It's a publisher parish atmosphere. Yep. And you are attempting to introduce new things. And you spend a large amount of your life and time developing a, a hypothesis or a theory or doing some kind of research and whatnot. And you do this. Now, if we just said plagiarism was completely okay, then the people at the very top of the food chain, and I'm going somewhere with this, the people who are at the most elite institutions, the people who have the most fame, the biggest budgets, all they would need to do is start reading lower papers by other very creative, innovative academics to put in their name on it, and they would be able to get the credit because they have greater prominence. So yep. this is definitely a situation where the haves can take away from the have-nots. Now, to and me, by the way, so quick sidebar, that happens all the time in digital marketing. All the time. Anybody who's got a new idea out there and who doesn't have a megaphone for it will lose. So what you've just described is, is SEO. What you've just described is the way that digital marketing works. What you've just described is how influencers influence. All of that is under the same umbrella that you just used for academia. Google is like the biggest cheater on this in the world. If you have yep, something that's, that's right. working, they will create an app inside the search that will begin to scrape the information that you were collecting and serve it up so that people don't have to actually finish the click and come to your web page. Okay. Yep. They do yep. this all the time. Okay. Now, I, 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 I wanted the thing where I was going with this, though, is I wanted to point out that Ackman's targets, initial targets are MIT, Harvard. Yale, Princeton, Stanford, Penn, Dartmouth, et cetera, Duke. I don't know. Like it's going to go on and on, right? He's going to focus on IP. It's a target. Okay. And I'm suggesting, I'm going to make a bold proclamation here that I suspect, I suspect that the people who are at the highest elitist levels are more likely to be committing the crime of plagiarism than the people at the lowest levels of academia. Can I ask you a question about that? Yes. Um, it, Ackman makes the point that the more you publish, the percentage, uh, the statistically, the larger the larger possibility exists that you've plagiarized something, versus those who haven't published as much. So if you've got thousands of articles and pages out there, um, the probability goes up. You're saying no, 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 hundred percent no. That that's a, that's a crock, and that's one of the uh, tip offs to me. That he's trying his his number one goal was to begin explaining why there's some instances of plagiarism in his wife's work. I got you. So he's covering his tail. He also, and I don't want to leave this off here. I'm glad this came up. This is how I expected it to, but I'm I'm glad this came up. He is a huge enthusiast for higher education. In fact, he uses higher education schools so frequently it becomes an acronym in the piece. H E S. And one of the re things I don't like that makes me nervous about all of this is that I'm not sure that he's actually focused on plagiarism as much as he is maybe in getting even with some people or setting some people straight or making sure, you know, hey, you, you leave my, my family alone. Right, right. 
Um, uh, because I, I suspect that at the end of the day, very little of anything changes. And until October 6th, he this was going on. Let me just be clear. This was going on. Oh, yeah. And until is- October 6th, this wasn't even occurring to him to do anything about. He was a major, major heavyweight supporter of Harvard because he was a graduate there. So I think he wants to preserve his institutions. And I think he wants to maybe clean things up a little bit. And I wonder whether or not he has any idea how big the problem is, but I don't think he wants it to be so big that people lose their confidence in these higher institutions. In fact, I think he thinks this will do a little bit of cleanup, a little bit of weeding, because I've met these people. I've gone to cocktail parties with them. They seem like good, honest, decent people, right? And then he came to me and said, I'm working on this and I'm working on that. And they were very sharp and intellectual and it was interesting. And I was intrigued by these people and they're pretty sharp. And surely this isn't going to be that big a problem because they're at this elite level, just like I am. But I'm shaking my head no to you because honesty is honesty. Yeah, character matters. Okay, if, 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 if I say that every time... Um, you sell to your clients a product that the more you sell, the more likely there will be times that you were dishonest. Would you accept that at face value? No, absolutely not. No, you're going to be consistently honest with your clients. Yep. Okay. Yep. So it is no, I, 100%. I'm not accepting this idea that more publishing. This is an ethical question. Do you have do your are your ethics that variable that by by doing the action that you've been paid and trained and said you desire to do with your whole life? Because listen, you don't accidentally end up a professor at Harvard or or a professor at Duke or a professor at, at Penn or, or Stanford. These are not medical these, professors. Yeah. yeah, and if you get a chair or an endowment or a grant or whatever, you signed up for that stuff big time. You said, this is what I want to do with my life. I have something I'm aspiring to do, and this is what I've chosen to do with my life. Lots of people end up in jobs by accident. You don't end up in these jobs by accident. Yeah, this is. A- so you signed up and said, this is the thing I care about. This is the subject I care about. And everybody needs to hear my wisdom on this subject, right? I need to stand up in front of lecture halls and tell young skulls full of mush. Uh, this is the way things uh, ought to be. And then I, I want to go off and I want to write articles to my pointy-headed uh, uh, colleagues in my profession, and I want to show them how smart I am and why all of them should be doing my research and advancing my ideas. And if that's what your job is, then your ideas ought to be your ideas. You shouldn't be uh, stealing the stage from another human being. And that's what the issue of plagiarism is. You've stolen a stage from another human being. It's an act of fraud. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, because when those people get to be the ones in charge of teaching others, character matters. Yeah. And I, and I, I agree with Ackman about this, is that if we're going to have an institution of higher learning, it had better hold itself to a standard that is that where character matters, right? Indeed. Um now, I, I just I want to note, Bill, right at the very top, uh, everybody has taken it for gospel that he's going to go do this, but he actually says it should be done, and he would be interested in funding a startup, yes. an AI startup that would do this work, which means a business model has to be designed. The model hasn't even been designed yet for how this would happen, 
right? Because he's probably not going to fund just anything. The guy has made his billion by being uh, a, a very savvy investor and knowing what to do there. So he runs a fund. So uh, is this really going to happen? Or was this just a little bit of poise grandstanding to say, look, you know, I'm drawing a line. You've already talked my wife. Just stop here. I, 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 you know, I read this the very first time I read it. I missed that. And I got really super excited and said, you know what? This is well overdue for the reasons I, I described earlier in this, this broadcast. This, this is a piece of, listen, we have been let down consistently by uh, the people who are at the top levels of state, the people who are at the top levels of academia, the people who are at the top levels of media. And there's this myth that goes on. We focus a lot on the media portion of it here and quite a bit on the politics, not very much on the academic. But there's this myth that the people at the very, very top are the people who are the very, very best at what they do. So the very best journalists, for example, work at Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. Oh, no, no, no. I don't mean that, Jim. I mean like the New York Times or the Washington Post. Well, the truth of the matter is that those people are stopped routinely from reporting on things. They have lawyers, they have certain business relationships, they, have, uh, they want to continue to have certain levels of access. They're very, very careful about what they publish. The best journalism is coming from amateurs. As we've described in previous shows, the amateur, that word amateur is the same root word as uh, love, amore, that's amore. It is the lover of the subject. It is somebody who, who does it for the passion and the benefit of being able to have that truth and maybe even to share it with others. And the best journalism is happening right now. The very best is happening with independent or small journalists all over the place. Some of the people that were in the old system have escaped and gone over to places like Substack and have been able to build a much larger audience for themselves where they're free of editors and they're free of the concerns of sponsorship and they're free of lawyers and all the rest of it. And they're taking risks and getting us new information. So the same thing in my mind probably applies uh, to academia. Now, I want to go back to Phil Magnus, who just had a post within the last couple of days describing that he went to a normal school. He didn't go to an elite school. He didn't have any family or social connections that put him in the position that he's in. There was no point at which he was given some kind of all-star break. Everything has to be earned by putting good academic information out, by really doing his homework, dotting his I's and crossing his T's. And that was what he was relying on. And those are the people we would prefer to see get to the top. But people who do get to the top, there are a lot of them, I suspect, in this case, who have cheated to get there. The publisher parish was upon them, and they wanted to be at the very top. And so maybe they're willing to cut some corners here or there. And maybe that's why a comment like, well, okay, you know, the more they publish, the more likely there is to be some plagiarism in there becomes part of uh, the standard. I appreciate the clarity on that because it's so different in academia than other places. Like it used to be an honorific if you quoted somebody else's melody in music, right? And the way that you did that was artful and that was respected. But now we get, you know, lawsuits based upon who owns Happy Birthday. It's it's silly. It's kind of been taken over by academia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, the music industry. I don't. I don't think for on a consumer basis, it's been. It was improved by all this. No, uh, no, no. There will people debate that, but um, and it's, it's copyright's a slightly different issue than plagiarism. Yes, uh, it's related, clearly related, but a slightly different issue. Slightly I'm, different. I, the, the the part that I'm most interested in, I think the thing that I think makes it different 
is that research leads to ch changes in behavior, changes in incentive structures, changes in policies, changes in company policies, political government and political policies, changes across the board. People make changes in their life and health and style and how they relate with, to one another based on academic research that gets disseminated a little bit more broadly. And yes. institutions like Harvard and, and, so, and MIT have the ability to disseminate their information through publicity channels better than your local uh, city university uh, and, professors you know, do. You mentioned this, and we might as well address it here too, but how much of, the, of our trusted institutions... Uh, how how many, how much, what percentage of our trust institutions, policies, procedures, whatever, are based on potentially faulty research? A lot. And that's a different thing. You know, that's, that's a different a thing lot. to plagiarism. But we've come to understand that it's a lot. We got little Anthony doing what he does. And so let me you tell know. you a story. And this is one that actually kind of breaks my heart a little. That's why I'm choosing this particular example. There's a, a guy by the name of Dan O'Reilly. And Dan uh, is an honesty researcher. He's an honesty researcher. Let, let, me get, let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. He actually spends his time trying to figure out why people lie and how to get them to tell the truth more often, or what are the incentives for being truthful, and are there, do those things exist? And his work was so influential that the Obama administration changed how a mileage form for government employees was filled out. Uh, I've was familiar with his research or the popularization thereof because he's actually a very charismatic individual. Uh, I find him charming in, in his delivery, and I found his research to be thrilling. I was like, if this stuff's true, this is really great news. Like, we should take full advantage of it. So in uh, throughout the sciences, and the more social those sciences become, the ha less hard those sciences become, the more this is true. There is what's called a... Uh, a replication crisis. That is, someone does an experiment and they cannot repeat the result. Someone else takes all the same parameters and rules and tries to repeat it and can't get the same result. And that if enough people do it, that the uh, effect uh, of all those studies turns the original result into largely a random event. In other words, it ain't real. It isn't actually knowledge. Now, consider, I don't know how much money the government spent uh, amending those forms based on this insight. Uh, the Obama administration was clearly very excited about Dan O'Reilly's work and thought, you know, we're going to get government employees to be a little more honest by doing taking this one rather simple, small step, but they still had to change their forms, their format, and their process, and their rules, and they don't move anything quick. Nothing's free or easy over there. And... Uh, other companies adopted these ideas too, and entire enterprises probably got started on this stuff, and people are spinning their wheels and wasting their time. Now, what did Dan do? Well, it appears, it appears that Dan added data that did not actually happen, survey and research data, to a sample in order to get a result. That he may have chopped off some extremes and, without telling people and added in a whole bunch of artificial data to help beef up or get the result that he wanted. That sounds like the FDA, man. And well, and this happened, there's been people that have looked at this. You can go, uh, don't rely on me. I am a let, I, this is an allegation. I am not saying that this is what happened. I am suggesting to you that there are pl there's videos and articles, videos on YouTube and articles all over the web where people have done the homework and can explain why they believe this is the case. Now, 
I'm disappointed to hear this because, as I said, I think this research, some of it was frankly beautiful. You know, there was one idea that he had that I was very attracted to, wherein if you could get somebody to repeat the code of ethics that they signed on to, if you could get them to review it um, once, twice a week was ideal, but it, at least once a week, which is basically the rhythm at which people attend church, that people were less likely to cheat or lie as a result. And boy, if that's true, then we all have a powerful tool to help program ourselves and to encourage others to be more honest. And the way this is designed and the way he explained it and broke it down, which is not the subject of this podcast, so I'm not going to go deeply into it here, was elegant and beautiful. And just, I mean, beautiful from like an aesthetic point. I just was like, wow, I was in wonder of this. But is it true? Well, now we have reason to doubt because some people who did their homework, like Phil did with uh, Daniel Cruz, I believe his name is, it, and, I, and, and uh, he he was able to be able to spot the patterns. People were able to look at the research and say, you know what, this ain't real. And there's tells, there's cheats, and all this stuff. I don't I don't understand how all that stuff works, but you can hear someone break it down, and uh, it's sad. It's sad. Now, again, this is all an allegation. I want to be 100% clear. It's an allegation. I don't know enough about this story, but this story is circulating all over the place now. And it's, uh, to me, it's, 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 it's a crying shame. And it, it may or may not even touch plagiarism, but it touches the one unifying principle, which is character. So where the where I bring this up to say that the plagiarism is more like academic fraud than it is copyright, at least for the discussion we're having right now. Yeah, I do believe in copy uh, that that I don't believe in legal copyright. I believe in um, a standard of copyright. Okay, I understand why people would say I don't want this repeated, but see the hard part about putting an idea out into the world. And this is where I said. Uh, there's no limit to what I can accomplish if I don't care who gets the credit. Um, there's a lot of things. There are a few things I don't want stolen. I understand trademark, for example. Uh, that's somebody's face. That's their image. That's who they are. That's uh, okay. So you can't take identity, right? It would be wrong for me to come take your social security number and start spending accessing your accounts and start spending the money you've earned, right? It would be wrong right. for me to go out and represent myself as being you and put you into into debt or or destroy your reputation as a result of my behavior, uh, you know, becoming your Twitter account, you know, and pretending I'm really you, that would be wrong because that is identity. Uh, ideas are not necessarily identity. In fact, they would tend not to be. Um, I may think a lot about certain things about myself having to do with my ideas, but that's not really my core identity. You know, when I uh, die and go to heaven, it's not my it's not my ideas I'm taking with me, Right. When I die and I'm laying in the casket and my family's looking at me, it's not my ideas that they're staring at, right? right. Um, th it's not what they're going to, that's not the thing that's most memorable or important in relationship. So uh, what I'm saying here is that um, if you are doing your job correctly and you care about advancing the causes that you're advancing, you would want some replication of yourself. You would want to be duplicated. You would consider imitation a sincere form of flattery, but that's not what plagiarism is. Plagiarism is me stealing your professional reputation and claiming it for my own. 
I didn't yes. do actually any real legwork. I took what you had. And that's where we should be most concerned. That's the type of plagiarism that should bother us or concern us the most. Not whether somebody used Wikipedia to put a definition out or they forgot to put quotation marks on a statement that they included. I mean, I would ask how core it was to the thing that they were advancing. If all of a sudden we recognize Bill Protzman as musimorphic, right? But then it turned out that there was another guy named Bob Protzman, right? Not Bill, Bob, who actually yeah. originated all of this stuff and you stole his business, right? That would That's be wrong. Issue. That's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. So it has to do with like this academia is about this competition and I'm I'm suggesting like where you were just going a moment ago that this is such a severe character problem. It's also dangerous that people are going to end up relying on it. And we just got through going through a event, an international event, a word I will not repeat that begins with P that featured a doctor whose first name was Tony, yep. where, where we all went through this. I don't say this because of Al Gore's rhythm, um, where lies were told about what people knew, didn't know how much science was behind the things that they were saying and an attempt to shut down other people who didn't agree with the official pronouncements, which turned out not to be science. And so much of this has happened. So you've got it in academia, you've got it in government, you've got it in science, you've got it in politics, you've got it in entertainment. You've just got so many people who are posing and stealing that these institutions, conservatives by their nature, one of their, their core value is that there are traditions that we have to hold and there are institutions that do that. And so when they see the institutions declining, when they see the institutions in trouble, they say, we got to do something to shore up the institution. Now, no matter how progressive politically uh, Mr. Ackman is likely to be, he has a conservative instinct to preserve Harvard, and he sees what's coming as a problem for them, and so he's going to do something to try to, he's tr he could be, theoretically, trying to do something, because this is incredibly well thought out and nuanced, to save the institution. And this is where I, I have to part ways with them. I don't, I, I don't care if these institutions get saved. What I care about is the, that individuals have character and that people yeah. treat each other with kindness and honesty. Yes. And let's be rigorous about those things. Yes. Yes. And if, if, if Harvard fall, so be it. Literally, I, I, you know, we'll be fine. The world will go on if there is no Harvard. The world will go on if there's no Princeton or Stanford. And I'm sorry if this is your school, right? But understand, you're partisan rooting right now if this is bothering you. There's these yeah. institutions are not the thing that make it all work. If the institutions get corrupt and bad and hollowed out, if we have old rotten wineskins, you're not, we, let's stop putting wine in them. Let's stop putting young people inside these old wineskins, right? Let's give them an opportunity to go somewhere else that's going to do better with them. And, and, and character should be an essential in that mix. Truth should be, veritas as it is, should be essential in that mix. I'd like to suggest, too, that, that there's also a character question when you weaponize something against another individual. Uh, the, the weaponization of plagiarism against Harvard is possibly admissible, you know, as a thing. But when you're going after somebody to try to break them, using a, a weapon such as AI, uh, that reveals your character too. Yeah, and it's, this is true on both sides. It's uh, true on both sides. 
Uh, yes, I, I, you know, so in it, he wanted, he extolled and advanced this against Claudine Gay. Then it came back and it was used through Business Insider. There were MIT people, uh, that may have been involved in this Business Insider back against him. And now he's upping the ante yet further. And you notice these things are escalating, which is what conflict tends to do. And we spent a lot of time on that in the previous episode. I don't want to belabor the point. Exactly. So the graceful move right now, your average Joe on the street who doesn't care anything at all about this, but might have an opinion about what happened on October 7th, is caught up in this web right now. How does the average Joe approach this with grace? Well, first off, um, don't cheer for this just because you think or suspect that it's going to uh, go after your political, uh, your political opposition more. Because it right, will drag right, yeah. net, it will drag net some of the people you uh, admire and like, and then you're going to be put in the terrible spot where it's going to be hard for you to endorse their views. You're going to have the same discouragement I'm beginning to have, or concerns that I'm beginning to have uh, about certain academics. Uh, one of whom we've discussed in this episode, who is alleged, once again, alleged uh, to have uh, false uh, supplemented his data. I, I'm. So I wouldn't want to get caught up in that. I wouldn't want to get caught up in an escalating feud that is largely about personalities, which is very, very similar to partisanship, right? This is a person who's on our team, therefore they're good. And there's a person on the other team, therefore they're bad. And uh, we want to win at any cost. And we tend to lose sight of what the original principle was. Now, in what might actually start to seem like a reversal of position on me, on my part, I can't help thinking that it's been experts, very well paid and insulated from consequences at a variety of institutions where they have tenure, where they have seniority, where they have uh, connections, where they went to the right, you know, they went to the right schools, right? They end in the right clubs. I can't help thinking that there's a certain tier of people in this country who have probably done some cheating to get to the top. And, and, and I'm going to tell you why I think this, because I've actually had the opportunity to sit and debate one face-to-face, the other on a radio show, two former United States senators. I have uh, met, before he was a senator, uh, another U.S. senator, and watched him in a group that I was with uh, interact with us uh, face-to-face in person. I have met too many politicians to count. Be the at levels lower than that. Who, when you find out, when you meet these people, you find out they're not that deep. They're not that smart. They're not that bright. They don't read a lot. Uh, They are used to giving standard pat answers. Their real true ability is to get elected. Uh, That is, they know how to shake babies and kiss hands. And they do it so well. They know they can know how to do the rubber chicken circuit. They know how to give pat answers and sound bites. They know how to put on a costume and perform, but the depth of their character and the depth of their intellect and the depth of their research is missing because it isn't there. Uh, these are not August Solons who are spending lots of time at the library. And they're not George Soros either. I'm sorry, uh, Santos. Santos. I didn't mean to elide those two. Yeah. But they're not the Santos uh, kind of character issue people. No, I'm talking about the fact that just the run-of-the-mill, top-level senator, because I just described I just described conversations with two former senators and one current, 
Gotcha. And I'm saying to you that getting to that level does not mean that they're bright, does not mean that they have any special ability that lots of other people around you don't have. They have a title and they knew what it took to get that position. And what it took to get that position was not a lot of book reading. Okay. Yeah. So I have this suspicion because we see a lot of these people become TV celebrities that increasingly, uh, um, there is a very famous physicist. I'm not going to mention by name, but everybody knows who I'm talking about, who I think is a lot better at being a television personality than he is actually at science. And uh, when he starts to venture out of science, it gets worse. That's when he makes his biggest pronouncements that people share the most. <laughs> and there are absolute <laughs> blunders. I mean, just it's, it, it's some of the things that have come out of his Twitter account it's hard. It's hard to believe anybody's dragging dragging their knuckles like that. It's just yep. like, where did you get this? Okay. And bonus points for anyone who wants to name him in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say, I just there's this hunch on my part that so much of what we're governed by, so much of what we're living under, has been foisted upon us illegitimately. And if that can be brought to light and exposed, and if it means that the institutions burn, well then burn, baby, burn. Can we sweep SEO into that and the dumbing down of content ever since the internet began? I have thought about writing an academic paper, at least in length. It would more mainly be my opinions on SEO and all of the related nonsense that's going on right now. Now, I think where AI also is going to provide us a way out of SEO. I think that's going to, dis yep. is going to, to crumble. This yep. was a temporary technological step. But it, the effects of it are just, they're appallingly bad. And they encourage businesses, including a, a business like ours, trying to get uh, eyeballs and ear, uh, ears. Um, they encourage really bad behaviors. The, the, they're almost completely bad. Is what that should matter is the quality of the content. And I, I view what I do at all, in, in my in Zero Aggression Project, which sponsors this show, at Downsize DC, which I ran for a lot of years, uh, in my other work now that I'm doing for the Foundation for Harmony and Prosperity, the Advocates for Self-Government, Respect America, I, to me, all of these things that I'm doing uh, are relational in nature. They're reputational in nature. I want to be known as somebody who did what he said he was going to do, and if he didn't do it right, he's going to make it right. That's I want to be known that way. I want people to have confidence in the work and the work product. Um, and so, uh, you know, even I'm thinking about, you know, like one of the implications, one of the sticky implications here is how to use AI. I've been playing with it, you know, do I need to start disclosing and how do I go about doing that? I think that's going to become a trend. I think you're going to see writers doing it uh, because we want to be honest. Yeah. But I do I want a footnote every single time I've done that too? Hell no. I want people to read my stuff. I'm looking forward to this. The coming, you know, AI. Yeah, because if Bill Ackman doesn't do it, somebody will. This, somebody is, will. this is definitely going to happen. Yeah. And it it does make good sense to me that we could turn AI against itself to help us understand what it's doing. <laughs> Oh, right? irony is conserved. Irony is conserved. Thank you, Perry. 
That's a Perry quote. That's a C. Now I almost let that go by, and then you said, "No, we got to footnote that quote." We got irony can serve as a Perry Willis quote, and that asked that I actually to, uh, the full quote is irony is conserved in everything. There we go, Perry Willis. Yeah, now we've done it. We should also probably <laughs> cite that in the show notes. So we've been well, we've done it here. If you know, if they've listened, then they'll know we've done it. But now this this leads into another topic, which we're not going to go into today, but. When AI is turned against AI, somebody is going to notice the holes that are missing in history. And Perry Willis has done a good job of filling some of those at War Truth. Because there will be moments where AI goes, and then we don't know. We can see how it got this far, and we can see where it continued, but there's a gap in there where the knowledge seems to have disappeared. Well, and the other thing is that AI is still at this juncture. Now, maybe this will change, but it's still largely a popularity contest. And it's drawing from the biggest, most broadcast sources heavier than maybe some guy that's been operating in an independent arena. I, Bill, I'm in love with the amateurs. I really like the person who, for the love of their knowledge, dug deeper than everyone else and, and produced an insight that everyone else missed and they were willing to go out and say something potentially heretical or blasphemous against the rest of the profession because they weren't in it. They weren't a part of the club and they weren't worried about their tenure or their pension or their political standing being taken away from them. And if that also means Mr. Ackman, that Harvard goes away and we get more of that kind of academic work, I'm okay with that too. Because frankly, some of life's best things are creative accidents. Yep. They're not, the, and, or they come out of uh, the most surprising people. We have inventions and discoveries that were made by people that were not part of the club. Uh, Albert Einstein being a very, very dramatic example. Well, he got oh, into the club. Nikolai Tesla. Yes, but didn't start there. When he yeah. wrote those papers, he wasn't in the club. He wasn't in the club yet. So I want I want to see more of that. I, I think we are suppressing a lot of that. And these there's an incestuous relationship between these large institutions and large media, and everybody's living inside these large media machines. Although increasingly finding some of the independent alternatives, and I uh, if this was the I'm, I just want to be clear, Bill Ackman is does not want this, and he would not want a plagiarism scandal to to uh, accrue to Harvard. If it's one or two professors that get taken out, if it's a couple of people who have to fix their academic record, if it's a tiny you know footnote on their careers, that's okay with him. Because he'll think I just weeded. I just did some weeding. Uh, if But I'm saying if the whole field catches on fire and just gets scorched, I don't see what we've lost. I think there's actually the potential that really good things can come out of that. I agree with you about this. It's It's tough grace. That may be a new term. It's tough grace, but at some point you <laughs> got I've heard of tough love before, tough right? Love. Well, tough tough love. love is, you know, <laughs> that's, it gets it out of the parental realm, but uh, we're talking about something that's, that is relationship-based here, and, and I think your point on relationship is excellent. Would you want to have a relationship with this person? Like a working relationship, professional relationship, not some crazy romantic relationship. I'm talking about a durable friendship that accomplishes something for a purpose. If you say yes to that, and you could say yes to that when it's Claudine Gay, or you could say to that yes to that when it's Perry Willis or anybody else that you want to choose who's towing the line here, um, that's where we want to work. That's where grace works. If you can't have that relationship, 
uh, you know, burn it down. Okay. So we've talked in the past about, and maybe this would be a good place to start to land the plane. We've talked in the past about truth and reconciliation, the the method that was used in post-apartheid South Africa for dealing with incredibly heinous crimes. And it might be that that's the same thing that needs to happen here. All the laundry needs to get out there. And then there needs to be uh, a sit down where everybody's, you know, we're clear. And Ackman was clear that some, we have to take into careful account along the way what the rules were at the time that the publishing was done too. Sure. We can't hold somebody accountable to sue, to a standard that was invented 20 years after the paper was written. Um, but we should, uh, uh, we should find some way to redeem uh, situations, but you're bringing up the issue of trust and trust is much more personal. And so not punishing or not destroying someone is a long way from, gee, I want to do business with you. Gee, I want to be a friend of yours. Those are two very different poles. And once that reputational line has been crossed, it's often hard. It takes a lot of time. Trust and time uh, have a very close relationship to one another. That is, the more significant time is involved, the more the, the trust will deepen. And when there's damage, one's sometimes just one thing being so severe that it could take years to to recover from so i if if these institutions are no longer trusted because they have been so untrustworthy these are not people i don't care but i don't i'm not looking to like crucify these people i'm not looking to be i'm not out to get them individually uh even if i disagree with them even if i think that they would do the same to me that's not what i'm i i i, I would not exult or find joy in that so how do I bridge it? What's the, what's the way that we move from this situation to where we hope to go? Cheer on truth and don't cheer for punishment. 